canary in the coal mine of corporate disinformation. Tune in to Flashpoints every weekday at 5 p.m. on KPFA listener-sponsored radio for the Bay Area and beyond. Thank you. And this is 94.1 KPFA. 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 FM K24APR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover. Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I was listening for my <laughs> my intro, but that's okay. It's Bertolt Brecht, folks. You know, the, the bit about um, getting your money every Friday. That's a laugh, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> anyway. Oh, we got through New Year's, or I did. I did. I got through New Year's, and today is January the 2nd. Uh... <laughs> Fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Uh, I I tried to uh, get myself together today to talk about uh, what the future is, but I'm not ready to do that. Maybe next week, right? Maybe, maybe on uh, January the 9th. What I did... Uh, Let's see, Sunday night, New Year's Eve, was I considered, I considered having a drink once more, times being a little bit stressful, and, uh, yes, yes, uh, every New Year's Eve, I consider giving up the grape. <clears throat> I consider, and then I reconsider. My excuse is my conviction that drinking goes with scribbling. It's an old trick. Elizabeth Barrett was a junkie, that kind of thing. Oh, gosh, what were they drinking? All the literati, all poets are lushes, but not all lushes are poets. Oh, we've had a few sober poets and 
any number of sober writers, although not in Ireland, uh, with the notable exception of George Bernard Shaw, who was perhaps pure spirit and so didn't need any. Now, uh, Sunday night, uh, I had a cup of wine and I began to think in simple similes. The writer as a drink. Henry Miller as dark beer with a chaser. Thomas Mann as after-dinner brandy on an empty stomach. Thomas Hardy as a morning after hair of the dog. Anais Nin as a strong, sweet, distilled liqueur. That sort of thing. So then I had another cup of wine... And I began to see them drinking. And sometimes, why? Jane Austen sipping lemon tea with minted leaves and sometimes looking out the window into the trees. Colette swallowed sweet breakfast chocolate. Absinthe stains on the bedside table. An aperitif in the afternoon, on the sly, in a cafe he never frequents. Virginia Woolf out for a treat, but only once a week. And a long walk first, and then scones to go with. George Sand smoked the little cigars first. Then she drank a few sips of whatever he was pouring, later watering it down so she could write while he slept. Sigrid Unset drank the mead of medieval myth like the Nordic maiden she was, Catholic to the core, the wafer and the wine. My old friend Jake says she's a bore. So I told him to go take a frying leap in the fjord. After all, didn't she win the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1928? Jake said, oh, the only time I tried to read her stuff, hell, I thought she was an historian. Footnote here. Sigrid Unset wrote a marvelous book called Kirsten Lavern's Daughter, which I recommend. Well, I recommend that women don't read it while they are pregnant, but uh, actually the Nobel Prize for Literature, I believe, came to Sigrid Unset for uh, uh, a four-volume novel called The Master of Hestweichen, which was something that uh, I used to take on long trips with me. It was wonderful stuff, all those uh pagan and Viking sagas, but hers was actually about uh, the Christian the Christian church in the 14th and 15th centuries. Uh, oh, back to my list of writers, George Eliot. George Eliot, she took tea with the usual toast, but no liquor left when the party's over. He drank, of course. But finally, 
only when she did, and it was love without marriage. No fooling. So then I had another cup of wine, and I got a little lurid. A 19th century storm is coming up. I'm waiting for the rain to come down. Open the windows. I look out over the moors, and there they are. The Victorian ghosts, those Christian Protestant souls, muttering mea culpa, mea culpa. I felt an acute attack of brontophobia coming on. I did, I did. Whenever I can't sleep, I get an attack of brontophobia. Now, the name Bronte, B-R-O-N-T-E, means thunder. And brontephobia is the fear of thunder and lightning, but of course it's them I'm afraid of, Heathcliff and the rest. Once in my dreams, Emily stood slicing the tomatoes she threw at me. She took the largest slice from the center. She dropped it over her head and all the seeds turned to gemstones and the wet reds swam around her in a cloak. The laughter of Pan poured from her throat. Uh, Still dreaming, I ran until I fell into the lurid mist of that third watercolor, the one Jane Eyre showed to Mr. Rochester. I was drowning in the sea of that picture, reaching for the gold bracelet around the neck of the black cormorant. Oh, oh boy, Charlotte Bronte's images. Anyway, I woke up drenched in sea salt after that dream, sea salt sweat. Oh, for my sake, Charlotte, could you, at least in my dreams, take a real drink like a simple Irishman and put away the spirits of ammonia and treacle thin syrup laced with hot chocolate desire? Emily Bronte died in 1848. At the age of 29, I think she drank hemlock. Straight. Anne Bronte, the youngest sister, died the next year when she too was 29. Asking to be taken to Scarborough because she had never seen the sea. They buried her there instead of at Haworth Parsonage. So she does not walk night after night the way the others do. Charlotte lived to be 39. She died of tuberculosis and pregnancy. Late, late, late time to go for a walk. Walk to the store in the rain. I bought another bottle of Burgundy and I got out my list. And here is Ernest Hemingway, yes. 
Ernest, bourbon on the rocks, I suppose. What do I know? Whatever he was drinking, it wasn't that that killed him. F. Scott Fitzgerald, the drink that fires the dream, that burns the body alive. Dylan Thomas, beer for breakfast and any and everything else. He never took coffee or tea. Bitters all day, real booze when his work was done. Anayisnin, thimbles of disparate distilled liqueurs each day in her diary. Yes, wine at formal places in gardens of prose poems, blood if needed. Blood for lovers who couldn't, uh, never would or shouldn't drink. Gertrude Stein preferred food to drink, serving alphabet vegetable soup for an entree, a beef tenderloin for those who eat words, cakes and plum brandy for those who stay till the end. Melantha was one of three, each one as she may. And Alice, Alice. Footnote here. Melantha means black flower. It is my favorite Gertrude Stein story. And uh, it's it's uh, one of the stories in Three Lives. And I always uh, want to remind people that it is the very best book. Uh, I could call it a sex book, but let's say that it's about men and women and how they don't talk to each other but just talk alongside each other an amazing book Melantha's story yes the black flower Sylvia Plath thistles yes she drank them it's like Denison time time the history of the heart of ancient woman she could smell the sea of Africa before land rose. Tony Morrison, pack up all your cares and woes. Bye-bye, blackbird. There was a time, she said, when Africans could fly. This was a time before salt. There are words for women, she says. There are ways to know. A whore is a lover, a servant is a laborer, a mammy is a mother. Laughter and jungle red wine. Black women, she says, seem less alone. Look at literature. Anna Karenina has no woman friend to trust. Madame Bovary had no auntie to straighten her out. All the way to that Irish trash, Scarlett O'Hara. White women in books, 
seem to be going about the business of the acquisition of a male or males. And, of course, they are damned if they get them and damned if they don't. Tony writes now as it comes out of when black woman wisdom doesn't divide. Joseph Conrad drank the salt from the sea and never set foot on land again. Mr. Kurtz, he did. D.H. Lawrence, wine and wine and wine and wine. A lot more of that, but well drunk for a dying man. T.S. Eliot. Dandelion wine, dearie, laced with the blood of the lamb. Time to pour again. I hope someone's counting my drinks. Mm, mm. The eternal sake from that bowl has poured millions of bubbles like us and will pour says the Rubiat. Yes, yes. The Rubiat of Omar Khayyam. Elizabeth Barrett, drinking her tea laced with laudanum, laudanum, the wine of opium, the wine of love and leisure, with an Englishman of letters and off to Italy for Baroque. She went to visit George Sand. Elizabeth taking note that although she did not observe Madame Sand to smoke, it was, however, deeply to be regretted that Madame Sand surrounded herself with so many persons of the ragged red or lower theatrical types. <laughs> Mary Shelley could have used a drink. Nothing could mask the odor of death in her life, the child stillborn and all those she loved, either dead or monsters or both. Christina Rossetti drowned deep, deep in the holy water at the font. And then sips from her brother Dante Gabriel's unholy cup. Belladonna, Belladonna, deadly nightshade, a spiritual opium at last in the garden of Solomon, where she slept alone. Dorothy Parker drank gin from a flask in the ladies' room and mixed drinks in public at cocktail parties with her heart tucked inside her handbag, sealed in a plastic wrap. Edna, St. Vincent, Millet, drank wine from his grapes when he was around, but she carried her own flask, and she traveled. Emily Elizabeth Dickinson, drove herself from drink, insisting thought could think until at last. She fell in love with death. 
the sweetest drunkard we can know. And one last time I reach for the wine, the year is done. Temperance has not touched me, come. Come fill the cup, the bird of time has but a little way to fly, and lo, the bird is on the wing. Once again, the rubiat, the rubiat. Come fill the cup. Sappho drank the Aegean Sea in one long lost song. Footnote here. Let's see. The 13th century, I believe, is when the uh, Christian church fathers burned every last scrap of Sappho they could find. Ah, then John Donne, the metaphysical poet John Donne, quite undone by his dear dead wife Anne Donne, swallowed his pride and published. Footnote. Anne Moore married John Donne in the year 16. Oh, one. She was 17. She died at the age of 33. She had borne her husband 12 children, of whom seven survived her. <laughs> I see now where his poetry was going, indeed. Sartre, sweet Jean-Paul. Ah, he drank every and nothing at all, insisting they are both the same. Samuel Beckett, that bone of the existential echo, drinks the desert dry. A nihilist in love. No sweat. I suppose... I suppose I should mention the old man last. Oh, churl, drunk all, and left no friendly drop to help me after. I will kiss thy lips. Haply some poison yet doth hang on them to make me die. That would be Act 5, Scene 3 of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) Oh boy, the start of a new year is the time that so many of us try to make lists and resolutions, resolves. I guess there's no harm in it. It's absurd, of course, but... I I think it's a chance to think about the eternal verities. Yes, yes, the things that never change. I need a chance to be grateful, yes. New Year's, I am grateful for this world, for this great enigma, this strange existence that nobody can explain, at least not to me. I guess that's not what it's for. Our mysterious planet, 
Our senses tell us that this is our home. A home within the vast universe. Ah, the universe. Yes, indeed. Albert Einstein said that two things are infinite. The universe and human stupidity, and he's not sure about the universe. Ah. But all that, that's only words. Language is all we've got. All we've got to understand existence. The poets and the prophets, they work like hell to express human feelings, human thoughts, to name things, label them sometimes. Thing, what a word, a thing. I looked it up, it's just a, a, an assembly, an assembly in the Middle Ages, you know, where they all came together. It's kind of like a fair, the thing. How imperfect language is. Ah, it can't express true feelings. Someone said that an Irishman uses words to express damn near everything except his true feelings. Samuel Beckett said an Irishman's brain is only his imagination. Maybe music is best to express emotion, feelings, yes. Music and paint. The mind is not expansive enough to express the soul. Samuel Beckett even says that there is evidence that women have souls. He is asked what for, and he says, so that they may be damned. Visual images, yes. They mean as much to me as language, as words. Seeing and hearing, hard to pick. Beauty is truth, the poet said. I don't think it's the other way around. Truth is seldom beauty. Unless you're kind of a saint, perhaps, you know, uh, uh, Someone capable, like the Buddha, of joyful participation in the sorrows of the world. Ah, truth has seldom set us free. Still, still, I think it is perhaps better to know, better to know the worst, to know what hit you. History happens, here it comes again for me, for me. Some poet's words are often not just the truth but all the beauty I can find. Shakespeare, of course, the old man, the ultimate. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death out out brief candle life's but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more it is a tale told by an idiot 
full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone Throw. Back again, same time next week. Till then, go easy. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. to resolve conflicts in your life. Do you wish you were better at creating a peaceful and just world? On Talk It Out Radio, Sundays from 7 to 8 p.m., we offer the skills of self-compassion, effective communication, and creating understanding across differences. Come listen, call in, and practice with us. Talk It Out. Talk It Out. Talk It Out Radio, Sundays, 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFA. And this is 94.1 KPFA, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 FM K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned for the Work Week Radio.